First Peter chapter five, verses one through seven, it says, The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, uh, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of glory that does not fade away. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Cast your cares upon him, for he cares for you. So in verses 1 through 4, since we just read it, we won't read it, we won't read it again, but Peter is exhorting other leaders to be faithful overseers. He himself doesn't come to them or come at them and say, hey, you know me, Peter the Apostle, I'm up here, you're down there. He comes out at them and he says, look, I'm a fellow elder like you. But then he says, but... I'm also was witness to the the sufferings of Jesus Christ. So it gives a little bit of weight to what it is that he's saying. So he says, I'm also a fellow elder like you, but hey, I also saw the sufferings of Jesus. So you guys need to hear me because I was there. You know, he speaks with boldness. He speaks, you know, like a man who actually, you know, walked with Jesus because he did and understood the things of the Lord. And leaders shouldn't think that we're above or they are above anybody. And that's what Peter does. He shows that he's not above anybody, but he is in a position where they should listen to him speak. And so he goes ahead and he, 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 he says these things, but he's not like lording over them. And far too many people get a taste of leadership and they begin to think there's something in the Lord, right? Get a little bit of taste of power, get a little bit of a title, and all of a sudden their head is too big to fit in the room. And, and that's never the way it should be, especially within the church. I mean, it's like that in the business world already. Why do we got to bring that kind of stuff to church? Why does it have to be like that? But they think there's something and that people should be serving them and bending over backwards for them. When really, as leaders, that's what we're to be doing. We're to be bending over backwards for people. We're to be going out of our way. We're to be serving as our Lord did. He showed us the example where to follow it. They forget that serving the Lord and serving others is the reason that they were called to lead in the first place. You know, the, somebody, the, somebody within the church or somebody within the ministry or the Lord saw something within whoever that person is and raised them up to a position. And so now all of a sudden, what, you're going to get a fat head over it? As if you did something? As if somehow you're great and everybody should listen to you? That's not the way it should be. We should be humble. We should be willing to yield. We should be able to sit there and go, Hey man, I'm only here because God put me here or appointed me here. By the grace of God, I am here. You know, And that's our attitude. That's the attitude as leaders that we should have. We should never think that we're above people. The church has a real need today for leaders to be humble and not to be self-serving and be recognized. You know, A lot of people will do stuff around the church and what they do is they do it in order to please men. In order to get praise from men. But as a leader, that's not what we're, to be, we're called to be doing. We're called to be doing things and not let our left hand know what our right hand is doing, right? We're not to go around boasting about it. But there's a lot of people today within many churches that they, they don't get that. They want to be recognized. They want to be seen by men. One thing we need to understand is that leaders within the church are no different than those that serve under them. Nobody is, is above anybody. In God's economy. Yes, there are different positions within the church because God God has called different people to different ministries. But it doesn't mean that, well, they're up here and you're down here, right? That doesn't sound what that means. It's just our different callings in life. Leaders are servants and should lead by example and be willing to do whatever needs to be done. I, I, I can tell you with sincerity of heart, when we were doing stuff in Unit E, and, and Pastor Richard said, hey, what are you guys doing? And he came down from his house, and he cleaned chairs. Now, maybe I just took his reward away from him. I don't know. But no, he didn't pat himself on the back. He didn't make a show of it, you know. He didn't sit there and say, hey, quick, take a picture of me so everybody sees it, right? 
He came down and humbly he did it. And I'll tell you what, he led by example. And that's the way we're to be. Men in the church, whether you're here at the church or your home, we're to lead by example our jobs. We're to be the ones that are the hardest workers. We're to be the ones that are the most dedicated. So that when they look at us, they say, well, what's different about you? And the world looks at us, right? Or when others within the church see us leading by example, they're willing to follow. That's the way we're to be. They'll be willing overseers and not do it because they they felt like they had to or were being forced to do it, Peter says. You should never feel like you're doing something out of compulsion. Ministry is a calling and a privilege. And no matter what we're doing, we're to do it as unto the Lord. It's not our right. Serving in ministry is not our right. And too many people will take it that way today. Well, I'm here at the church. It's my right to serve. No, it's not. You know, if your life is not, we'll get into it later, but if your life is not laid out like 1 Timothy chapter 3 talks about, you have no right. You know, you have no right to do certain things. If you're out doing these things that Paul says you're not to be doing, it's not our right. It's a privilege to serve. If you're serving in ministry, either you're called to serve or you're not, but you should never feel like you're forced. Either you're called to the ministry that you're in, or maybe you're wishy-washy, not sure, so maybe you're not called to that ministry, you're called to another. But no matter what the case is, you should never serve out of compulsion. It should never be something that you say, well, I have to serve because nobody else is going to. Or they're making me serve because they don't have anybody else. It should be out of a willful heart. It should be from a desire. And those of us that serve within ministry at the church should always be ready. You know, we got, we got a taste of that today. Phil came up at a short notice, and he was ready, in season and out of season, right, to do whatever needs to be done within the church because sometimes things happen. You know, we have to be ready. We have to be willing. The motives of the leader are to be pure and not selfish or self-seeking. Ministry isn't about money, right? It's not about me. It's not about getting all I can. It's not about getting up to the top. Nobody works their way up to the top at the church. You know, we're not all looking to get to the top. You want to get to the top? Wait till you die. Right? Then we'll all be in heaven, we'll all be in top, and Jesus will be over us and it'll be all great, right? Not to worry about it anymore. Ministry isn't about money, like I said. But even those that serve in full time ministry are worthy to get paid, Paul talks about. First Timothy chapter five, verse seventeen through eighteen. Let the leaders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out grain, and laborers are worthy of their wages. So the pastors within the church should never be begrudged to making a living doing this because they're being faithful to the Lord. And they're able to because of the faithfulness of the people to give, right? I mean, it's it's... Like trickle-down, which our government doesn't understand. Trickle-down economics, it's horrible. But it's like that in a sense. You know, the, the church, the people that come to church, they give so that the pastor is able to give himself over fully, right, to the Word of God, to preaching, to teaching, to studying, to ministering to those in need. And they're worthy of the money that they get. Ministry cannot be effective if a leader is motivated by money. How often in churches do we see that that's the case? Give till it hurts and then give some more. Really? Give. Pray over this magic wallet we're going to send you, right? Why don't you pray over it? You know, see if it gives you any money. Because that's what you're asking for. The leader shouldn't be motivated by power. The gifts and position that God has given spiritual leaders must not be used to gain an advantage or special favor. Not to lord over people, he says, right? Because as leaders were to be above reproach. This was the exhortation that Paul gave to Timothy, right? In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, he says, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Be an example. Be a witness. No matter what age you are, whether you're young, whether you're old, doesn't even matter. Be an example. Be a witness. We're to live out what we believe, and in doing so, we'll reap the benefits, right? And rewards that come from God. We don't need pats on the back from men. 
You need to come up with a bunch of people going, ah, good job, that's great. I mean, yeah, we do that, but don't get me wrong. I mean, you don't want to have people around you all the time that are telling you how great you are. If you have everybody telling you how great you are, chances are you're not so great. Because people like to, I'm going to say, kiss up, or whatever the case is, right? So people like to do that. People like to do those sorts of things. So they come up and pat people on the back. Look, if you do a bad job, you did a bad job. I mean, yeah, you can say, well, you can do better next time, brother, right? Or whatever the case is. But we're to let the Lord be the one to reward us. Let Him to be the one as we're being faithful to the calling and doing the things that we're called to do. In verse 5, he says, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. God has a real hatred for pride. He really hates it. The the destruction that it causes in people's lives is crazy. People get prideful. They get full of themselves. You know, they get puffed up and they do something dumb and then they fall flat on their face and everybody within the church suffers. And they're, they're humbled by force rather than being humble willfully. And it's better to be humble, right? than to be proud and get humbled. (laughs) That's the worst. It's happened to to me before, you know. Back in the day, my younger days, usually it happens a lot to young people. So you young people, keep that in mind. Get really prideful and then, you know, you think that nobody can do anything without you. You know, and and you're the end-all, be-all. But you know what? We're not. The Lord is the one who takes care of everything and He's called everybody for a plan and a purpose. And if you need to be humbled, then you need to be humbled. And he'll raise somebody else up in your stead. It's, it's that easy. I mean, God doesn't sweat that stuff. He doesn't worry about it. Proverbs six sixteen through 17 says, These six thing, the, things the Lord hates, yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift to run to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among the brethren. The first thing on the list is a proud look. And from that, everything else follows, right? You get that proud look in your eye, and then all of a sudden, boom. Next thing you know, what happened? What did I do? You know, and that's, that's our cry. It's what we do. Proverbs 16, 18 and 19, he says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Better to be a humble spirit with the lowly than divide the spoils with the proud. Be humble. We're called to be humble. Peter calls us to be humble. Be men and women, or, well, there's no women here, but be men that, well, better not be, but be men that are humble, that are, you know, full of humility. Not false humility, there is a difference. Oh, yes, yes, I know, you know. Don't be like that. But be truly humble, knowing that the Lord is the one that takes care of everything. He is the one, He is our judge, He's the one that's going to take care of us. And we have nothing to boast in because if we're to boast in anything, we're to boast in the Lord. There's so much pride and entitlement with young people today. Uh, I, you know, I work with the high schoolers and wow. You know, it, it's amazing how much entitlement, that attitude that they deserve everything. That no longer do they have to work for anything. It should all just be given to them. Believe it or not, you guys, this happens in ministry. You know, it it happens in ministry all the time. People feel like, well, I've been at the church for a month already. How come I'm not teaching? Right? How come I'm not leading the ministry? I've been here for six weeks. You know, instead of, well, I've been a new Christian now for, you know, six months or a year, and and boy, I'm not doing anything. It's just pride. It's absolute pride. And there's so much of it within young people today. It's, it's almost shocking if young people weren't prideful all the time anyway. You know, it would be shocking. In fact, I'm shocked when people aren't prideful, to be honest with you. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty shocked. I mean, you see somebody who's truly humble. They have the humility of the Lord. and They're walking in the Spirit. They don't take any credit for things, and you're blessed by it, and you look at them kind of cross, like, wow, that guy's truly humble. 
you know? And you don't want to go up and blow it and say, dude, man, you're humble, you know? And, and just totally, then now he's going to be thinking about it, you know? And he's just going to be like, oh, well, I was until you did that, but, you know. <laughs> but within the church, we as men, we as leaders, and I'll include the women in this because if you're married, you know sometimes, you know, your wife can be a little prideful, you know, because we're not. But, you know, it's true, though. I mean, within the church, we're to resist that prideful attitude, that spirit that says that you need me, right? This ministry can't run without me. Do you know how important I am? Do you know who I am? Right? That's what we do as people. In the church, that shouldn't be happening ever. We should all be humble, you know, so that we don't get humiliated. Right? We need to be humble. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all this is in the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And it's not of the Father, but it's of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, all the ways that we sin daily, right? There's much to be said concerning how highly we think about ourselves and whether or not it comes across in the way we respond to people. You know, you talk to somebody. And I know as guys, you know, we we tend to, when we think back about the days and people are talking about, dude, I almost got into a fight. And then you're like, oh, dude, this one time, you know, and you start talking about how you, you know, it happens as Christians too, let's be honest. And then you're sitting there and you're like, one time, oh yeah, one time, you're getting all prideful about, oh, I did this and that, when really the fight is about one-tenth of what you're actually describing because you've embellished so much over the years that you forget that, you know, actually you were the one who was flat on your back and not the other person, right? So we get prideful. How we respond. Matthew chapter 23 verse 12 says, And whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The hope is that we recognize that pride, when pride creeps in, that we deal with it before God deals with us. Right? We should deal with it. You recognize it, you see it, lay it before the feet of the Lord. Lord, help me to be humble. Uh, you know what? I felt like I was prideful. You know, help me to be humble, Lord. Because if we continue in that pride and we continue to sear our heart towards it and not repent from it, then eventually the Lord will humble us. And it's never pretty. Many men in ministry have thought that they were, you know, immune to being humbled by the Lord. And many men from ministries have been humbled by the Lord. Some of them have made it back. Others of them, not so much. Verses 6 through 7, he says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and He will exalt you in due time, casting your cares upon Him, for He cares for you. God is the one that we serve with the gifts that He has given us to use for His plan and His purpose. So where's the boasting? Where's the pride? If they're His gifts... His talents that He's loaned us to use for His glory, where's the boasting? Why do we boast? Verse, James chapter 4, verse 10 says, Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. There's no place for pride in ministry because ministry is about God first and about others. You know, always. It's not about you. It's not about me. Tell the, I tell the high school leadership that all the time. Hey, look, when you come here, you're here to serve these kids. You're here to come alongside. You want to socialize, you want to hang out with one another, do it on your own time. You're here to serve these kids, and that's it. And, and you know, you, you hope they get it, but a lot of them are young, college-age kids, you know, and, and, and most of them do. But, you know, you always have to remind them because they're so young. Look, ministry, I, one time I had a pastor tell me, uh, my youth pastor over at uh, Pasadena, he told me one time, because I was, you know, one of the, those, you know, youth leaders, you know, I was probably in my early 20s, and 
was kind of sulking, you know, for whatever reason. We were getting ready to go on a treat, retreat, and I was pouting about something because, you know, it was kind of a girl back then. And so he's telling me some things, and, and, and he's like, what are you doing? I said, oh, you know, I lied. I'm not feeling good. He looked me square in the eye because he knew it. And he's like, you know what, man? He's like, ministry's not about you. He's like, get up and serve these kids or go home. And I was like, whoa, ouch, that hurt. But I'll tell you what, I never forgot that. And from that point on, I understood that ministry is not about me. Ministry is all about the Lord and all about everybody else. And if there's room, maybe there's a little bit for me, but not, not really. Because if you're serving the Lord and you're walking with Him, you're trusting in Him, you see that you're in ministry, you're involved, you're serving, you're doing things around the church, you're doing things at your home, you're a servant wherever you're at. So it's always about other people. And, and there's really no room. There's no real room for, for selfishness within ministry. There's no place for pride. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 2, Let another man praise you, and not your own mouth, a stranger, not your own lips. Hilarious, man. I, I mean, this stuff is funny to me because I see it, you know? I've seen it in myself at times, and I see it in others, and it just cracks me up because everything that the Bible says is, like, true, you know? You see it, and you're like, oh, let other men's lips praise you, not your own. Oh, did you see what I did out there? Did you see that, you know? Oh, did you see the way I took care of that or did this or do And it's like, What? <laughs> you know, well, pat yourself on the back, you know. I can't pat you on the back because there's no room with all your hands and then mine going back there at the same time. Can't do that. Peter will say in verse 8 in First Peter chapter 5, we're not going to get there, but he'll say that the reason that we're to lead in the, in the way he's described is because the enemy is always looking for those that he can devour and use for his purpose within the church. You know, he says that the, 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 the ad, our adversary, the devil, if I can spit it out, is like a roaring lion, right? Seeking whom he may devour. Well, if we're thinking about ourselves, we're being prideful, there's no humility for all about us and not about others, then he's going to latch on to that. And then he's going to use that to bring you down, to bring the ministry down. And that's where the rub comes. You know, we don't recognize that the enemy is in the church sometimes. You know, we don't see it. We think that, oh, everybody comes to church as a Christian or wants to be a Christian, right? No. <laughs> and even some of those that are in the church, within the church, if pride sets in, if things start to come up and they start to think more of themselves than they ought to, what ends up happening is that the ad, our adversary, the devil, is looking for that. And he will see that because he's seeking whom he may devour. And then he's going to take that and he's going to use that to destroy everybody else if he can. We have to always be mindful, always be cautious. We have a choice to be effective for the kingdom of God or to be used by the enemy to be effective for his kingdom, right? Either we're effective for God's kingdom or we're effective for the enemy's kingdom. I really don't think that there's much in between. Not a lot of gray. But we can't do both. We need to cast our cares upon Him and let Him be the one that exalts us, right? He has to be the one in His time, not in mine. Because believe me, most of us, when we think more than we should about ourselves, we have grandiose plans for how the Lord should use us. And God's saying, oh, wait, wait. You need to be faithful with the little I've given you first. And as you're faithful with that little, I'll give you more. But if you're not humble, if you're not walking right, if you're not using those gifts for my glory, I'll just take them. They're mine, after all, right? And then we're left sitting there going and scratching our heads, going, what happened? I don't get it. In chapter 8, we have the essential qualities, eight essential qualities for, for leadership. Eight, I think, or seven, I can't remember. It's eight, yeah. When the leaders in the church are scripturally qualified to lead, then they will exhibit certain qualities. And in this chapter of the book, I have it written right here and I can't even remember. In this chapter of the book, there's eight. There's eight qualities that, that Sanders points out that we're to have in order to serve him effectively. 
Those qualities are discipline, vision, wisdom, decision, courage, humility, integrity, and sincerity. Before we look at these qualities, though, we need to find out what it is that a leader is supposed to be like, biblically speaking, right? And so for that, we're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 7. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 7. says, This is a faithful saying. If a man desires a position of bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules over his own house well, having his children in submission, with all reverence, for if a man doesn't know how to rule his own house, how he'll, how will he take care of the children, the house? I'm sorry, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, and here we go again with the pride. Lest being puffed up with pride, he will fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. There's kind of a theme between Paul and Peter in the way that they see ministry in certain aspects. I mean, you know, Peter's talking about how we need to be humble, otherwise the adversary is going to come about and seek who he may devour and use you to cause others to, to mess up. And now here we have Paul talking about you have to be of good testimony, not just in the church but outside the church, lest you fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. I mean, it's the same kind of thing. Most of that in, in Paul's case is directed towards young people, but Peter is also talking about youth, right? So we see that, and the effectiveness of the church depends largely upon the willingness of the church leaders to yield to the Holy Spirit in their lives. If the leaders aren't yielding to the Spirit, the rest of the congregation will not either. And it's sad because, again, you see that today within the church. If the leaders are all messed up, the church is usually pretty messed up as well. Why would it be any different? If the leaders are lacking in these qualities, then the congregation will be lacking in these qualities. And everybody will just be able to serve whenever and however in whatever state they find themselves in. Sleeping with their girlfriends, living with their boyfriend or girlfriend, you know, doing drugs, getting drunk, whatever the case is. And then they come to church and then they're like, well, I'm just going to serve, you know. It happens. We'd be stupid to think it doesn't happen. It happens at every church. Because nobody can be the Holy Spirit for people 24 hours a day. can't hover over people. You have to kind of hope that people are walking with the Lord. You hope you see things within people. And you hope that as you see those things, those spiritual things that they're doing for the Lord, the growth in the Lord, their family life, those kinds of things. And then what you see is, okay, they look like they're walking with the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's pray over that and let's see if we can get to use them. And then they come in and some people, they get prideful and full of themselves and then all of a sudden fall flat on their face. Hosea chapter 4 verse 9 says, And it shall be like people like priests. So I will punish them for their ways and reward them for their deeds. People in general don't rise above the level of their leadership. It just doesn't. I mean, you heard that, that term that water seeks its own level, right? That's kind of the way it works too within leadership. I mean, people don't usually rise above that or up to that level of the leader anyway. This is why it's important for those that lead in the church to be qualified. The leaders in the church must set a godly example for the whole church to follow. We're fortunate. We're blessed. You know, The leadership within our church is solid. And I don't foresee any of them taking a dive, You know, which is great. I mean, they all are walking with the Lord. Their families are strong with the Lord. And we're blessed for it. And because of that, you see how the church is healthy, right? You see how the church is growing. And the Lord is using people, and He's raising people up, and He's doing different things within the church. And then you go to other churches, and you see that the leadership is lacking. And then you see not too far down the road that not only that, but the people are lacking. They're not being effective for Christ. And before you know it, the church is closed up and it has a for sale sign on it. Why? What happened? 
People just weren't walking with the Lord. The leadership wasn't qualified. Or at one point they were, but they strayed. Luke chapter 6, verse 39 and 40 says, And he spoke a parable to them, so Jesus speaking, he says, Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall in the ditch? If a disciple is not above his teacher, or a disciple rather, is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. If you're trained right, if you're taught right from the pulpit, you will be like your leader. Because if you're trained incorrectly from the pulpit, if your leader is lacking, then that will be the congregation too. When the leaders in the church are scripturally qualified to lead, then they will exhibit certain qualities that will be evident for all of those who serve alongside of them. No matter what ministry you're called to. From the top down, if those leaders that are in those positions that the Lord has raised up, if they're walking right with the Lord and things are going on, then it'll be evident and you will follow them. I mean, you know, so many... Barney, you know, I always looked at Barney. Barney's a good guy. And, And I mean, I would follow him and do anything for him. Pastor Richard, Ray, Alan, these guys that are in leadership, some of you guys that I know that are serving the Lord, I would do anything you said to do. Scripturally speaking, of course. Because I know that you're following the Lord. I know that you're trusting the Lord. I know that you're, you're, you're serving Him with your whole heart. You're not compromising. No, you're not perfect. But you're not compromising the things of the Lord. You're putting the Lord first in your life. And that appeals to me as a man. When somebody is sold out for Christ... I mean, that appeals to me. I look at that and I go, dang. I aspire to that. We all should. And it's not something that we should look at and we shouldn't look at these guys and think, oh, well, they're so much better. No, they're not. They're men like you and me. And there are people, young people within this church, whether you think it or not, that are looking up to each one of you. They see you guys. They see what you're doing in ministry. They see when you come here. They see when you don't. They see how you act when you're here. They see how we do things around here. And they they watch us silently. And if our lives aren't an example of Christ in us, who is the hope of our glory, they're going to know it. Young people are anything but stupid. Okay, Sometimes we think they are. Ah, you stupid kids, shut up. You know, But they're not. They're not stupid. They see us. They look at us. They examine our lives. And if we are not living out what we believe, they've tuned out. They've checked out. We have an incredible opportunity. You know, with the young people, not just within this church, but within the community of Monrovia, to make an impact for their lives. And if we don't, then the next generation of the church is going to be sad. (laughs) There won't be a next generation. Though the leaders of the church aren't perfect, all who serve as leaders in the church must measure up to these standards that Paul laid out for us, right? 1 Timothy. So let's take a look at the eight qualifications that Sanders gives us. The first one is discipline, right? Discipline is a learned trait that doesn't come by things being given to us. (laughs) You don't learn discipline and saving money or whatever the case is when you're given a car, when you're given things, you know, whatever it might be. You don't learn how to save money. I was taught early on to save my money. I don't do a very good job of it, but I was taught it. But we don't learn things by people constantly giving stuff to us. Ministry is not to be handed to people. Things that go on within the church, we don't just go out and you don't just give things to people. People have to show their faithfulness within the church. You know, the same thing with your job. You go to work, you work hard. What happens? You get promoted, you get extra money. They give you a you know, bonus at the end of the year, right? They do all this stuff. But if you just go in and say, hey, give me my money... Like Shaq did, right? (laughs) 
traded, right? That's what happens. Happens to, it happens to people all the time. When people are constantly given things, they never learn how to appreciate what they have. Somebody gives you something nice, a tool perhaps, something, you put it down somewhere because you didn't pay for it. Right? You're like, okay, well, I don't know where it's at. It's around here somewhere, right? But when you pay for something, you better believe you know where it's at. Oh, yeah, it's right there, top drawer on the left, right there. Okay, great. Can you do me a favor and clean it when you put it away, right? That's what happens. (laughs) We all want to be leaders right now, I think, is what ends up happening. Nobody wants to wait. Nobody wants to be patient. Nobody wants to take the time to follow a godly leader and learn something from them because, especially young people, they know it all. You can't tell me anything. I have life experience. Yeah, but you're 20. (laughs) What life experience? You know, I'm 41. You want to play who's got the more experience in life? I mean, we can play that game, right? But it's, it's amazing. It's amazing how people just, they have that sense of entitlement. Give it, give it to me now. Are the whole generation of, of kids that think that, well, I'm not taking a job at McDonald's because McDonald's only pays, you know, whatever it is now, eight bucks an hour. When I started working, it was three thirty-five an hour. That was minimum wage. And now it's like eight something an hour or eight bucks an hour or whatever it is. And people are just, they're not happy with that. I'm not doing that. Well, where are you going to get a job? Well, I'm going to get one of those high-paying jobs, you know, corporate job. Really? How much education you got? Well, I dropped out of high school. <laughs> Good luck, you know. Very few, very few men and women have actually succeeded to the point of being multi-multi-million and billionaires, you know, by dropping out of school and feeling like they were entitled to everything. Most of those people worked very hard to get to where they are. We think we know it all. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. So as Paul walked with Christ, as he served the Lord, he was pointing to himself for you to follow him. Not because of him, but because of he's following Christ. So young people, or people in general, I go to young people because mostly it's prideful young people that act this way, but you know, people can be this way no matter what. Okay, that they don't want to serve, they don't want to take the time to sit under somebody who will disciple them. They want to just be given the ministry. Step aside, old man, right? <laughs> you step aside, <laughs> push you aside, right? That's what they, they feel like, you know, get out of here. They're like, what are you doing? Move aside so I can take over because I know it all at the ripe old age of 20, right? Or whatever it is. That's the way they are. I was like that when I was young. And any of you who say you weren't? Well, there might be a few exceptions, but I would probably say you probably were like that at some level. But a lot of us can be like that. You know, I, I, in, in times past, in, young, in stupid, foolish young times, right? Serving in ministry. Sometimes you're asked to step down because you're just full of yourself. You know, hey, dude, there's no room in this ministry for all your pride and everybody else who wants to serve humbly, so you're going to have to go. Unless you change. Why should I have to change? Okay, guess you're not going to change. See you later. Come call, call me when you're going to change. Call me when you do change. We're to follow godly leaders because they're following Jesus. If we're not willing to follow that then we have no business leading at all. That's one thing that we got to understand. We don't have all the answers. We don't have the best ideas all the time. You have to be willing in order to be a good leader. You have to be willing to follow. You have to. You know, a leader doesn't always lead. He follows at times when somebody else is leading better than him or in a more effective way. It happens. We have to be willing to follow, yield to other people. The need for leaders not to only give out instruction, but to receive instruction is critical if he's going to be effective as a, as a leader. Philippians 4.9, These things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these, these things do, and the God of peace will be with you. 
So again, Paul telling the Philippians, hey, look, these things that you saw in me, you go out and do them. So look, you're going to follow me as I follow Christ, and then you're going to go out and lead, and others will follow you. But first you've got to follow. And that kind of is hard for us and difficult for us to wrap our minds around sometimes because I'm a leader. Yeah. But you need to follow in order to be an example, in order to understand. You know, I, I, there was a, a thing, a, a story, I couldn't find it, but there was a story of this girl who was actually, she was in college, or she was applying to a college, and she applied to this Christian university. I think it had like maybe 750 students or something like that. I can't remember all the details, so forgive me if, if you know the story and I'm butchering it. But she was kind of torn because one of the things on the application that she had to fill out, one of the questions was, do you find yourself to be a leader or a follower, right? And everybody wants to, I'm a leader, right? Because leaders, you know, everybody needs to be a leader. And so she fills out this application. She answered it honestly. She's going to a Christian university. She's a Christian. No, I find myself to be more of a follower. And then she mailed it off. And then she sat there agonizing over the fact that she put she was a follower and not a leader. So they send her this letter back, and it's a letter. They say, congratulations, Mrs. So-and-so, whatever your name is. We've accepted you into the university because among 749 leaders, we need at least one follower, right? And, you know, we got to follow. Not all of us that lead always lead. Sometimes we follow. And I'm alright with that. we got to be alright with that. If we're disciplined to receive instruction from others, then God will be with us. But if we're unwilling to see the value that others bring to ministry, then we'll fail. Other people bring value to ministry. I know that's a, just a far out there concept, but they do. You know, the people we serve with, man, they bring value to the ministry. They have talents and gifts, you know, within, take the high school ministry, for example. They add value to it by their talents and their gifts that the Lord has given them that I may not possess. That those others within the ministry who lead may not possess. Why do you think that senior pastors have assistant pastors? Because those pastors have things not only just to be there to lift them up and pray for them and do whatever, but they have talents and time that maybe the senior pastor doesn't always have, right? They have gifts and abilities that the senior pastor may not have to use for the glory of the church, for the glory of the Lord. And the pastor can't always do everything. He can't do everything. And that's why, you know... you know, you talk about, you know, was it Moses that, you know, he had to delegate, you know, you should go, his father-in-law said, you should delegate, you know, these guys over here and give them because you're taking on too much. That's why the pastor has, seen, has assistant pastors. So that those guys can use their talents and their gifts and their abilities to glorify God for the body of Christ. For the effectiveness of the church in the, in the world. Quality number two is vision. We're to have vision in ministry. And at times, this involves stepping out in faith and trusting in what we believe the Lord is showing us, right? We kind of experienced a little bit of that just recently with the, with the outreach in Monrovia. We were waiting for permits to come in and, and things were, you know, we were kind of like in limbo for a couple months and we're just trying to figure out what's happening. And then it's like, boom, we got three weeks to plan for this thing. We got the permit. It's like, oh, dang. We know the Lord wanted us to do it, right? So now we had to step out in faith and allow him to do it, even though we thought maybe it was impossible to do. And we went out. And people, independent of what went on on the stage, through whatever happened, through the drama, through the worship, through the young people that were going out and other people that were going out ministering to people, people got saved regardless. And so it's never dependent upon us to think that we have to be ready. We just step out sometimes in faith. And sometimes the Lord opens the doors, and sometimes He closes the doors. 
And when the Lord closes the door, don't kick it in. Don't jiggle the handle. Don't try and pick the lock. Let it stay closed. But if He opens the door, walk through it in faith. Be bold. And just follow Him. And He'll honor that. He'll bless it. I mean, we were blessed by that whole event. It was just amazing, you know? And, and sometimes we just, don't, we just don't see. We just don't trust. Oh, Lord, we only have three weeks, or is it less than three weeks? I don't even remember. We don't have that much time to get it together. What if we don't get this? What if we don't get that? And then all of a sudden, you know, you're pulling your hair out if you have hair. And, and it's just, it's insane. It's not dependent upon us. Yes, we have to do our part. But if we're in the will of the Lord, He will work those things out according to His riches for His glory. That's the way He works. I like what Sanders said about vision. Uh, this is like one of my favorite quotes in the whole entire book. Eyes that look are common. Eyes that see are rare. <laughs> That's amazing. I, I like that. You know, it's one of those quotes that will just stick with you. And we all see things, you know. But, I mean, we all, you know, look at things. But, you know, do we really see? My wife accuses me of listening but not hearing. So I'm sure you guys know what that is. But that's a similar thing, you know. We need to not just listen, but we need to hear the voice of the Lord. We need to not just look. We need to see what the Lord is doing. We need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18 says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. Church has to have vision. Leaders have to have vision within the ministries that they're leading. We have to have vision. If the leader in the church has no vision or direction, then the church will cease to exist. It's that simple. You know? You have to have vision for the lost. You have to have vision for the direction the Lord wants to take the various ministries in order to be effective for the lost. Not effective for fellowship. Right? We're not called to be effective in fellowship. We're called to be effective for the lost. We need to have that vision for the lost. Third quality is wisdom. Leaders should be wise. And to this we all say, duh, right? I mean, leaders should be wise. They should be called of the Lord. You know, they should be somebody who you can look to and say, man, that guy's listening to the voice of the Lord. And it should be evident. Wisdom is taking the knowledge that we have from God's Word and applying it to our lives. It's taking what you've read, taking what you've studied, and now transforming it from just something you're thinking about, some sort of head knowledge, into an action. Something you're implementing in your life. And when you do that, all of a sudden you become wise. Now you don't walk around saying, I'm wise. Wise. Wisdom over here. You know, you don't do that. But we sit there and we apply the knowledge that we have in order to become wise. The Lord shows you things. Shows you things you need to change about your life. Shows you direction that you need to go. You start implementing those things in your life. And before you know it, you're doing the things the Lord wants you to do. And, you know, the Lord will call you wise. Chapter, in Acts chapter 6, verse 3, says, Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you, this is the one, seven men of good reputation, this is another one, right? Full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom who may be appointed over this business. So this is when, you know, they were bringing in Stephen and these guys to come out and take care of stuff, you know, church business, you know, it was in the Old Testament, they did in the New Testament, the whole thing. But, you know, you're looking at that, but one of the things, they wanted to be full of Holy Spirit, of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Not just general person who shows up and has no concern for the things of the church, you know, they just come and, you know, and then leave. People who are seekers of wisdom, people who are looking for the wisdom that the Lord can give. Those are the ones that they wanted to oversee. Leaders need wisdom from the Spirit to handle issues within the church and not the wisdom that comes from the flesh. Worldly wisdom is overrated. We're to have a different kind of wisdom. A wisdom that's supernatural, something that shows us, hey, look, you know, don't go there. Listening to the Spirit. And so we don't go there. We don't go to those places. Second Corinthians chapter three, verse four through six, and we and we have such trust through Christ towards God 
Not that we are sufficient of ourselves or think anything of ourselves, being of ourselves rather, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. Not the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So man's wisdom is worthless and brings destruction. You know, the law brought condemnation and death. It didn't bring anything. Jesus came, fulfilled the law. Boom. All's good. The law was never intended to make a man righteous, right? It was meant to point us out, to show us that we're sinners. So man's wisdom, the things that man does, is never meant to make us righteous. Never meant to make us wise. It's the wisdom that comes from Christ and doing the things that He's called us to do that makes us wise, spiritually speaking. The fourth is decision. When situations arise in the church, a leader shouldn't make rash decisions. He should prayerfully consider the facts at hand. He shouldn't just go out and say, well, so-and-so said this and this happened, and then they say, okay, you're out of here, right? you got to get all the facts. you got to pray over things. You know, oh, well, should, should we just go out and, like, they're looking for, you know, talking about the building and stuff. Should we just go out and find, let's go find a building. Let's just hurry up and get it done because we need a building anyway, right? No. Sit there and pray. Be wise. Whatever decision he makes as a leader, he owns it. He doesn't pass the buck. He doesn't say, well, I made this decision. It didn't work out. It's his fault. It's her fault, right? A leader sits there and says... If the decision went well, God gets the credit. If it went bad, that's on me. Right? Because one, we don't take the credit. God gets all the glory. But if something goes wrong, you know, that's on us. And and, and you know what? You own it. And and you take that, you take it and you just kind of say, all right, well, yeah, I made a mistake. It wasn't a bad mistake. Didn't cause anybody their life. Didn't cause anybody to stumble. It was just not the right decision to make. Okay, now you learn and you move on for next time. True leaders take responsibility. Don't pass the buck. And it's easy to take the credit when things are going well, but the mark of a true leader is to take the blame when things go south. That's one of the marks. Courage is the next one. We're called to be courageous. Which, by the way, doesn't mean the absence of fear. You know, sometimes we get nervous. Sometimes we get scared. But we're called to push beyond that and be courageous for the Lord. It means we're willing to do whatever's necessary even though we are afraid. You know, you think of like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? And you think about um, Daniel, right? You think they weren't scared? I mean, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that they were just like, go ahead, God's got my back. Yeah, they'll say that, they said that, but inside, I'm sure that they were like, oh, dang. Okay, well, if we lose our life, we'll be with God, right? That's cool. But they were still still fearful, if I can spit that one out too, right? There's fear. Sometimes we fear in doing things. Sharing the Lord with non-believers. Going out street witnessing. It can be fearful at times because you're not sure how people are going to react. Doing the right thing at work, knowing that it may cost you your job. Ouch. That one's hard. Right? And so we go out, we step out, and we wait, and we're courageous, and we trust the Lord, even though inside we might have some fear. We surrender the fear to the Lord, tell Him, Lord, please help me to be strong, help me to walk with you. And then you push forward with Him, and you wait, and you see what the result that the Lord wants to do. You see where He's going to change things. And then you you follow the Lord and you see that He did amazing things and He had nothing to be fearful in the first place. God didn't give us a spirit of fear, right? But a power, love, and a sound mind. We need to push through the fear and not trust in our own ability. Not let the enemy rob us of that. What the Lord has for us because we're fearful. We need to trust in in the true and living God. Who gives us the ability to all do all things, right? By His power, through His strength, through His might. Humility. Humility is unfortunately, again, lacking in the church today. And if you don't believe it, just read some of the posts or look at some of the things on Facebook and Instagram, right? People who are... Well, I, I'm going to word this differently because I know my wife does some of this too and I don't want to... Hi, honey. You know that kind of thing. I don't want her to get upset with me. But... Sometimes people just like, oh, selfie. 
like 20, 30, 40 selfies. That's like their whole Facebook and Instagram. Taking pictures. No humility. Just like, oh, it's all about me. After all, it is my Facebook, right? The other one was MySpace. Now it's Facebook. You can just combine them. It's my Facebook, right? It's all mine. It's all about me. Because that's what it is. Instagram is the same way. I mean, you see some of the things people post, and it's just like, holy mackerel. <laughs> you know? Have a little humility. Show a little bit of humility. John 3.30, He must increase, but I must decrease. Leaders should be humble. Romans chapter 12, verse 3, For I say, though, or say through the grace that is given to me to everyone who is among you, do not think himself more highly than he ought to think, but, be, but think soberly, as God has dealt with each one a measure of faith. We get like the disciples at times, and we think that we're going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Remember they were having that argument. Who's the greatest in the kingdom? Oh, here we go again, right? Had that conversation again, really? Who's the greatest? Who cares? Jesus is the greatest. End of story. You want to be great in God's kingdom? What does he say? To be the servant of all. Be humble. Have that humility. I like what Robert Morrison wrote. The great fault in our mission is that no one likes to be second, right? Except for Romaine, right? Romaine, he was second. If you guys don't know Pastor Romaine, he's over at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa a long time ago. He died quite some time ago. He wrote a book called Second. It's a great little book. I think you might still be able to get it in print. It, 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 it's just a great book. He understood his position. He understood his role within the church. And understanding that, he knew he was second. And he wasn't just second to Pastor Chuck, but second to the Lord. <laughs> wasn't about him he was humble he, he you know some would say he was kind of a jerk but he was humble right he he had humility read that book if you get a chance to read that book is a great read it's short you can read it in like 15 minutes if you read like me maybe 15 days but you know 15 minutes there's a sense of entitlement within the church today that smacks of pride when is which is contrary to our call to be humble. We're called to be humble like Jesus, Philippians chapter 2, verse 7 and 8. But he made himself a no reputation, meaning Jesus, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Jesus wasn't arrogant. Proverbs 27, 2, Let another man's lips praise you and not your own, a stranger and not your own lips. If we're boasting about anything, it should be boasting about the Lord. That should be what we boast about. It's the guy who says, talking to another guy, and he's, they're talking, he's, the guy's talking about himself incessantly. And he says, well, I'm done talking about me. What do you think about me, right? It's just pride and arrogance and just, oh, Lord, have mercy. Seventh quality is integrity. We're almost done. Leaders need to be honest in all aspects of life because a lost and sinful world is watching us. And they're all too eager to point out what we're doing wrong. Oh, you did this. I thought you were a Christian. English Puritan pastor Richard Baxter wrote, Take heed to yourself, lest your example contradict your doctrine, and lest you lay such stumbling blocks before the blind, as he may have the occasion, or it may be the occasion of their ruin. Lest you unsay with your lives that which you say with your tongue, and like the greatest hinderers, of the success of your own labors. I mean, wow. You know, sometimes we say things with our actions that unsay what we say with our mouths. You know, we're not living right for the Lord. And it contradicts what it is that we tell people we're living for. And it, it's crazy. Quality eight is sincerity. Leaders aren't to pay, uh, rather, leaders aren't to play the hypocrite. 2 Corinthians 2.17 Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ we speak before God in sin with sincerity as those sent by God. So Paul was sincere in what he preached and he lived his life as an open book before God and man. And I just want to leave you with a, a quote from, well, paragraph, from Samuel Logan Brengel of the Salvation Army. He wrote, Spiritual leadership is not won by promotion, but by many prayers and tears. 
It is attained by confessions of sin and much heart-searching and humbling before God, by self-surrender and courageous sacrifice of every idol, a bold, deathless, uncompromising, and uncomplaining embrace of the cross, and by an eternal, unfaltering looking unto Jesus crucified. It is not gained by seeking great things for ourselves, but rather like Paul, by counting those things that are gained to me as lost for Christ. That, that is the greatest price, price, but it must be unflinchingly paid by him who would not merely be nominal, but a real spiritual leader of men, a leader whose power is recognized and felt in heaven, on earth, and in hell. That's the kind of men we're supposed to be. Spiritual leaders that the Lord can use in a mighty way. Uncompromising. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, Lord. We lift our hearts to you, God, as men. And Father, I pray that your spirit would be upon us, Lord. That you would strengthen us, Lord. Use us, God, for your power, for your purpose. That we would yield our will to yours, Lord. God, that we wouldn't think of ourselves more highly than we ought to, Lord. That we would be sober. We would be humble, Lord. I pray for each man here, Lord, that you would raise them up to do the work of ministry that you've called them to, Lord. That your Holy Spirit would fall upon them, anoint them, Lord. Bless them, God. Keep them. Lord, help them to trust in you. Help them to lay aside their own personal desires their own personal goals, Lord, for what you have for them, Lord. We praise you, Lord. We bless your name, God. We ask that you would bless our time of fellowship now. Lord, do work, Lord, within these men, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.